Pierre Poiliev's first ballot victory in the conservative leadership race shows a party more unified than the campaign may have led many to believe. The new opposition leader now faces a tall order, unite his caucus to present a government in waiting in order to beat the Trudeau Liberals in the next election, whenever that may come. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post political reporter Catherine Levesque joins me to discuss Poiliev's win, what his message was to Canadians in his first speech as leader, and what comes next for the party. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Catherine, it was a big weekend for conservatives in Canada. We have Pierre Poiliev winning leadership on the first ballot, taking over for interim leader Candace Bergen, who famously took over for Aaron O'Toole, who stepped down earlier this year. In the lead-up to the vote, and really since the start of the race, Poiliev was the expected winner. But did people expect that he'd win with such a resounding majority on the first ballot? He got nearly 70% of votes cast. Absolutely. And in fact, in terms of points, it's 68%. In terms of the votes, it's actually 71%. So it's really, it's, it is a crushing, crushing victory. Look, I know Poiliev's team was expecting a win on the first ballot. That was crystal clear in their mind. But, you know, they were kind of careful to not, you know, boast about it because they knew something was going on. They knew he was going to win, but they still fought to the last minute as if the race was basically... <laughs> is to lose. So they were not expecting that much of a victory. I think they were a little bit stunned to see how much of a victory, because really, when you think about it, Mr. Poiliev won everywhere. He didn't just win in Western Canada. He didn't, he also won in Eastern Canada. He won in the territories. He won all across the board. In, in terms of writings, I mean, I, I, I looked through the list only eight ridings went to Jean Charest, ultimately, including six in Quebec, two in Ontario, but the rest was Pierre Poiliev, and it was just astounding numbers. It wasn't even close, and frankly, I think that uh, that's certainly proof that he is leader of the party. He does have a very clear mandate from the members. Now, the leadership results came in just two days after the death of Queen Elizabeth, and as the attention of many was focused on what was happening with King Charles's ascension and plans for a royal funeral, the results and Poiliev's first address as leader of the party may have gone missed by many Canadians. What message did he deliver on Saturday, and did it differ at all from his messaging on the campaign trail? I would say he was pretty consistent, but he especially focused on bread and butter economic issues, I would say, because that has been his common theme. I and mean, he's, he's been talking about the cost of living. That's certainly something that he was insisting on in his victory speech. He talked about, you know, parents having to change their kids' diets because the, the, the food, the cost of food is going up. He talked about 30-year-olds living in their parents' basements. So all that was kind of a common theme. What he did not talk about and that he certainly talked on the campaign trail about was, for example, the World Economic Forum. That was absent from his message on Saturday to members. Also did not talk about firing the, the governor of the Bank of Canada. So <laughs> I would say his, mo his more controversial stances, he decided not to talk about them for now. He actually extended a hand to the other opponents, actually. And I, I thought that that was quite nice because there was a very divisive tone during the campaign. 
He kind of smoothed things over, I think, with his first speech as leader. Certainly, he recognized, you know, all the uh, the valuable contributions that the other candidates did. He also even extended a hand to Jean Charest, which he had very much criticized, I would say, in the race, saying that, you know, he was thanking him for his service to the nation, that he really helped Canada while still be a country, frankly, after the uh, 1995 referendum. So, uh I think overall, you know, people agree that it was a good speech. She kind of toned it down in, in the wake of uh, the, the Queen's death, but she's a good speaker. And I would even say that his wife as well, I mean, she, uh, like she's done during the campaign, I mean, she was the one who spoke first, a very good speaker. She's actually fluent in three languages, and she kind of reminded us of their modest upbringing, you know, her in an immigrant family and Mr. Poliev being from, uh, you know, uh, having been adopted from uh, teachers and from Saskatchewan. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I I would say, pretty consistent overall with his messaging during the campaign. But we really saw that he toned certain things down. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned some divisiveness through the campaign. There was a concern among some in conservative circles that his win would be seen as too divisive. It could be seen as pushing the party too far to the right and could lead to the kind of fractures that we saw in the conservative movement back in the 1990s when we had two parties, the progressive conservatives and the reform party and then the Canadian Alliance. Given the large majority that he received, what are people in the party saying now about unity, about any fractures? Frankly, they're all saying the same thing, is that they're united, that the results were crystal clear and that uh, Pierre Poliev is, is the choice of the members. So uh, that's certainly something that we've been hearing a lot of, either right after the results were announced, but even earlier this week, there was a caucus meeting, and we were asking MPs time and time again, well, are, are you either staying in the party, or do you think that the you know Pierre Poliev has to do a bit of outreach and try to get everyone together? And they said, well, the party is united. It's never been as united. I think they've had very difficult years, whether it be under the leadership of Andrew Shearer, who saw Maxime Bernier leave, or Aaron O'Toole, where there was some divisiveness, certainly from, from that side. I would say the only thing that kind of struck me is, so Pierre Poliev actually, and this was not in his schedule, I, I was told this, this was actually a surprise, but he actually visited the Quebec caucus on Monday morning. Out of the blue, he came to see them. He really wanted to make sure that they were on board. And we know that most of the Quebec caucus actually uh, supported Jean Charest. So he really, he's been making efforts to kind of go see the people who didn't necessarily support him and really make sure that they're okay with what he's doing and that, you know, they will stay united in the party. I would say there's maybe one or two MPs in the Quebec caucus who were very, very close to Jean Charest and who are a little bit bitter right now. I don't know necessarily if they will leave the caucus, but, uh, you know, who are maybe just reflecting on their time as, you know, as their future, frankly, in the Conservative caucus. But uh, another person I would maybe mention as well, Dave, is um, Ed Fast. We heard from him. He said he would stay in the caucus, that he would still speak his mind, because let's remember, he was actually he left his role as finance critic in the last few months because he was very, very critical of Pierre Polyev's economic policies. And even Ed Fast said that he would stay in the caucus, that he would support the new leader. So uh, it's really it's, it's proof of unity. Yeah, and Monday morning, Pierre Poiliev was speaking to caucus for the first time. I understand he made a speech that was open to the media. What was the message he was delivering to his fellow MPs? 
I would say was still talking about unity, about the, the importance to, to go forward. But it was also a message, a very clear message to the liberals who, you know, at, at the same time are, are also meeting in New Brunswick right now as a caucus. And uh, certainly they've expressed a bit of concern with uh, Pierre Polyev's win privately, you know, when, when we watch media reports. His message was clear. It was, look, we're going to be defending the people who are concerned about the cost of living. He also promised that as a conservative caucus, they would never, ever support tax increases. So that's, you know, one clear commitment. He went there. But he also, he had a message that he's been kind of pounding for the last few days is that it's not about just airing out angry grievances here. It's about transforming that into hope. So I, I felt that was also, you know, a key word that he was trying to convey to caucus is, look, let, let's not you know, just be angry. We also need to give hope to Canadians right now. So is uh, another good speech, I, I would say. It was uh, certainly he had a lot of a lot of applause in the room. A lot of people, you know, were standing up to to show that they appreciated him. But uh, I did notice that Aaron O'Toole was not there in the room. Another one that wasn't there is uh, I was talking about the Quebec MPs a bit earlier. Anne Hayes, who supported Jean Charest, he was also not there in the room. We'll be right back. Looking a little bit at Poilier's victory, I know that early on in the race, everyone kind of felt that this was going to be a bit of a coronation. He was the perceived front runner early on, seen as well organized and had the backing of, you know, several dozen members of caucus. What are people saying now about how he really pulled off this massive win? Because it really is to to win that kind of support on the first ballot, I think of past leadership races in Canada. It's not as common as people may think. So, you know, what are they crediting his win to? I think it's a few things because you're right. I mean, it, this was not a regular leadership race. Frankly, the, when you look at the numbers, either the, the fundraising, the membership sales, it was out of control. And, you know, people were buying memberships for Pierre Polyev in, in, in massive numbers. So I think... First of all, his team knew that more and more Canadians are angry at uh, the Liberal government in Ottawa, at Justin Trudeau especially. So they kind of channeled that anger, whether it be about vaccine mandates or just COVID measures in the last two years, whether it be about the cost of living, all the affordability issues. So that's something that they championed. Now, the, another, I would say something that we're also still exploring exploring in this postmortem is also the amount of young people who actually joined the Conservative Party. And I thought it was so interesting because it, it actually, uh, Pierre Polyev's team or people who are close to his team actually uh, told me privately that uh, that was actually the big surprise in the race. I mean, they were expecting Pierre Polyev to attract a lot of Canadians with his message, but they didn't expect it to resonate as much with young Canadians. And, you know, by, by young, I would say maybe between the ages of, of 20 and 40 people who are living this, their, their first cost of living crisis, frankly, as young adults, you know, who are hoping to buy a home like their parents did and who cannot do that. So that's really something that resonated a lot. And I, I know organizers in, um, in, in the pause campaign told me, look, we, it was out of control. The numbers were just going up and up. It was mostly online membership sales. So people were seeing what Pierre Polyev was saying on social media. They were attracted to his message. And then the organization was efficient enough, basically, to get these people to actually sign up as members. Same thing happened during rallies. 
basically the social media engagement translated into people going to rallies, sometimes for the first time to a political rally, signing up, becoming a member, getting engaged in the campaign. So uh, look, I think we're we're still going to be exploring this win for a little while, but those are at least some of the factors that we can see and that we can start to analyze as of now. And one of his first major tasks will be to assemble his core team, uh, his front bench, the, you know, the MPs that are putting the government on the hot seat in question period. Do we have a sense of who some of those faces could be? You know, could there be prominent MPs who supported other candidates getting tapped for these roles? You know, I, I think it, you mentioned Ed Fast earlier. Could we see him in the shadow cabinet? Could we see someone like Michelle Rempel-Garner, who had previously supported Patrick Brown before you know, stepping aside to explore a potential bid for Alberta's conservative leadership. Could there be some of those faces who are prominent in the conservative movement, but who aren't necessarily the biggest cheerleaders of the new leader? That's actually a really good question. (laughs) I think that's something that we'll have to see. And I think it'll happen actually pretty soon because before Parliament will be starting next week, he is supposed to announce his shadow cabinet, from what I'm told as of now. So I think we'll, we'll have answers to that pretty rapidly. I know, I know Ed Fast He's a heavyweight. Like he, he's a former minister in the Harper cabinet. He knows a lot about economic issues, about international trade. So, honestly, if I was in Polyev's team, I would probably tap into his talents because he's someone who is very valuable in the conservative team. And you know, they should actually lean on his experience. As for uh, Michelle Rempel Garner, I mean, I, I know she's been, you know, very critical of Pierre Polyev publicly. I know she kind of shown that down. I know in, in, in the past days, she's been even criticizing slightly the World Economic Forum. So maybe she'll have a role. I guess we'll see. But uh, one thing for sure is that Pierre Polyev will want to have people who did surround him during the campaign close to him. One name for sure. I mean, Andrew Scheer, expect him to have a very prominent role, but also people who were close to Andrew Scheer and who, who are still close to him, actually, to have prominent roles equally in Pierre Polyev's new team. So I'm thinking about Chris Warkington. He was deputy leader for the official opposition. I don't know. Will he still have that role? We will see Mark Strahl as well from BC. He used to be the Conservatives whip in caucus. So we'll see what kind of role he has. But uh, I'm also thinking of maybe some newer MPs. Melissa Lanceman, certainly she's a rising star in the party. Michael Barrett, also his name came up. I know he's been collaborating very much with Pierre Polyev in in committees and, you know, holding the Liberals to account. Stephanie Cousy. So certainly I think we'll, uh, you know, it will be a lot of tough choices, I think, for the Polyev team in the coming days. But yeah, they, they do have a lot of people to pick from. Looking at things more broadly, obviously, he needs to make the party election ready or prepare for the possibility of an election. I know that some people are suggesting that Justin Trudeau could look to a fall election to capitalize on the fact that the conservatives have a new leader. There are others who feel that Trudeau will wait until his pact with the NDP runs its course in a couple years' time. What is Poiliev need to do to make his party election ready? Is it a case of reintroducing himself to voters across the country as leader of the opposition saying, I'm a prime minister in waiting, you know, get over the fact that, you know, when you look at some of his polling, he doesn't have high favorabilities across the country, but there's a lot of, you know, not sure about him as, as a politician and a leader. What are kind of the big challenges that he faces now as, you know, he prepares to go to the House of Commons as leader of the official opposition and then 
taking that next step to present his party as a government in waiting? So I think he has to do a few things. He has already started to reintroduce himself as soon as he was elected party leader. We talked a little bit about it earlier. I mean, he did present himself as someone from humble beginnings, someone basically who understands what it is to have a paycheck and, you know, pay for gas and pay for groceries and all that. So he is really trying to make that very clear that he does understand regular Canadians, even though, in fact, he's been an MP for many, many years and already had a pension at the age of 31. So first of all, there's that, his personal brand. The second big task he has to do and in in my mind, it's one of the most important ones, is to actually build a team to try to recruit some star candidates. Because for sure, he has some people in his team right now who could maybe eventually become ministers. But he has to do a little bit like, you know, what former prime ministers did, what Stephen Harper did, what the actual prime minister, Justin Trudeau did, you know, recruit some people who could become let's say, a future minister of finance, for instance. So that's exactly what Justin Trudeau did with Bill Murnau. He got him from Bay Street. He got Krista Freeland, uh, who was living in New York at the time, to you know be on his team. So Pierre Poliev will, he will really, really have to go searching, basically, for people who could really become candidates and become star candidates in the next election. And the other thing I would add is in in terms of preparing for the next election, and I think that's something that they're taking very seriously in his team because they will have an election readiness team basically as soon as possible Mm -hmm. (laughs) up and running, is that they, they really need to up their digital strategy game. And I think with all the memberships that they have now, they do have a lot of data on Canadians right now. So they, you know, a little bit like the Liberals did, right? Like that's that's how they've been winning their elections is because they have all this data, they have their Liberalist application. The Conservatives really have to up their digital media game. And I think that is something that we'll, we will definitely see with uh, Pierre Polyev as leader. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly interesting time in Canadian politics. Catherine, thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Dave. 10.3 is produced by Tyler Dawson, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Catherine Levesque. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.